You may be seated. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, young men. Amen. I do contain myself when you're reading the scriptures. If I didn't, it'd be a mess in here. I love the Word of God. I love young men reading it. I love those passages of Scripture. What a king. What a gospel. Oh, why doesn't somebody at a missionary conference take up Luke 10, 1 through 12? No purse, no script, no shoes. Eat whatever they give you, but don't take anything extra. Stay in one house. Don't go from, they don't keep a single word of that. They wouldn't know a missionary if he came up and introduced himself to them. Makes me sick. Why don't you practice the Bible? You say, well, they know that that doesn't apply to them. Then why do they use the Great Commission as the basis for being missionaries? If they're going to use the Great Commission from Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Acts chapter 1, and Luke 24 as the basis for being missionaries, then they ought to get into Luke chapter 10 and find out how to be a missionary. Instead, they go, have you ever heard of deputation? How many verses in the Bible have the word deputation? None. What does the word deputation mean? Go to churches and beg for money because you want to go to Tahiti. You know, instead of working for a living and paying your own way there, they go and beg money. Show me that in a Bible. What did the Apostle Paul do to pay his way? The greatest and most powerful man that ever preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sowed tents. If the church at Philippi sent him some gifts, he was very thankful for it, but he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Thank you very much, but I didn't even really need it. The labor is worthy of his hire. Amen. So go ahead and eat what they give you, but you don't really need any more than that. You don't want to have to haul anything to the next village. It's not my. I just want you to love the Word of God, and I want you to think, and I want the Word of God to form your thoughts, and I want us to bring right. into captivity every thought that rises up against the Word of God. Amen. They have invented so many different things, and I'm thankful that this church is trying to the best of our ability and the light that God has given us to be faithful to what He's shown us. Jesus Christ and His kingdom. What can we consider next about this great kingdom? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and see if we can find something there that was read to you earlier this morning. And I hope the young man that read it can remember what he read. And I hope all those that heard the young man read it to him can remember what he read to them. Matthew chapter 6, it's a rule of life. It is one of the most important rules of life. It is one of the simplest to remember, and I hope that you will all keep it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew six thirty three. The most important word in this verse is first. We have plenty of verses in the rest of the Bible telling us about the kingdom of God and about His righteousness. The most important word is first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Every choice you make, it should always be prioritized about where is God's kingdom in this matter and what choice should I make to exalt God's kingdom and His righteousness. His righteousness being attached to the words, the kingdom of God, mean that we are not talking about just taking a seat in the church. We are talking about exercising ourselves in a righteous way in God's kingdom. 
So the two put together mean the true, sincere, honest, righteous members and citizens of the kingdom of God. That should be first before anything else in your life. It's your priority. And Jesus Christ, the king, makes it your priority. Now, the things he compares it to in verse 33 are the necessities of life. This is going to be painful because you know where I'm headed. If I'm starting out with necessities, I'm really going to get your hobbies in about 90 seconds. If the Lord Jesus Christ, laboring and wasting his breath, if you will, on those who claim to be disciples of his, in verses 25 down through 32 is describing what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. Those are the necessities. I have to have the necessities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You do not go out looking to make sure that you are settled and safe in those three things and then add on the kingdom of God. He will then take away from you those three things and the kingdom of God. Or, if He allows you to keep the three things, He will let them so affect your life that leanness goes into your soul. It is the Word of God. When He sends fatness into your mouth, because you've put fatness in your mouth above His kingdom, He sends leanness into your soul where you want there to be fatness. I want you to notice something about the God that we're dealing with. And He is our Heavenly Father. This is not preached to the world. This is preached to the citizens of His kingdom. Look at the 32nd verse. It says, After all these things do the Gentiles seek. All the pagans and profane heathen in the world make these things their first priority. But look at our Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. See, you you may say to me, but but pastor, I've got to have these three... The Lord already knows that you need those three things to survive. If you'll put put Him first, He can provide those things easier and better than you'll ever be able to provide them. And you can have your cake and eat it too. And do you know what your cake ought to be? It's the kingdom of God. And then let He'll let you eat as well. Oh Lord, thank you for this passage. What what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Put the Lord first. He'll take care of all those things that you need. Now, since the Lord dealt with necessities, how offensive to you, I mean, to Him, do you think it might be when you put discretionary things above Him? I think I knew Matthew 6.33 decently before the last 60 hours. But I ask you to recognize that the king of our kingdom gave a lesson about necessities because you should be able to draw a conclusion about what he thinks of your discretionary choices. They stink. And they are offering him something corrupt if you let hobbies, convenience. Well, I just don't feel that hot today. He doesn't give a rip, and neither do we. If you have an act of God in your life, you know the kind that a doctor would give you a statement for that you shouldn't move. We might listen to you. But if you're going to play games with the Most High, just remember that when He spoke of necessities, 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 His kingdom was to come in front of those necessities. But when it comes to discretionary decisions, we better make sure 
that we're bringing the male from our flock and not something that's lame or torn or blind. Right. Of course the Lord is merciful. Oh, we, we want to emphasize mercy so much, but we never want to let mercy steal away the devotion that we owe Him. There's 168 hours in a week, and if you're tired, then sleep the other 164, but be in the house of the Lord for the four that we give Him. There's a lot of time to sleep. There's a lot of time to rest. I just, want to remind, I just want to show you some lessons from the Word of God about the importance of His kingdom, and look at how it starts. Look at verse 24. You can't serve two masters. You try to, you try to serve both, and you're in trouble. No man can serve two masters. That's just a rule from the king of our kingdom. Either he will hate the one and love the other. That's one situation you're going to get into. You're going to love the world, and you're going to hate God. How do I know when you hate God? Because you love the world. How do I know you love the world? Because you put the world's things first. Or you're going to end up in this predicament. He'll hold the one and despise the other. Do you remember? They snuffed at it. Malachi chapter 1. Remember? It was a weariness to them. I'm just too tired. It's too much. I'm just... How oh, do we have to go to church again? Have you ever heard those words? Have you ever thought those words? Oh, do we have to go to church again? You're snuffing at the worship of God? No man can serve two masters. Do you know what you're holding to? You're holding to your little bed. Your little babies? I'm a baby if I were to do the same thing. Lord, help us to see the gospel of your kingdom. He makes it so plain and it's so powerful. You know, if you try, if you try to love them both, I, I want to love the world and I want to love Christ. I want to enjoy my life while I'm here. The only way you can really enjoy it is to love Christ first, and he's going to teach you how to enjoy it. Amen. Have you ever read your king on this subject? Your king says, he that tries to save his life will lose it. But he that lose his life for my sake shall find it. You want a blessed life? Put him first. He'll take care of the rest. Oh, this is the gospel of the kingdom. People all, you know what the gospel of the kingdom is to Schofield and all the rest of the futurists? It's what's going to be preached during the millennium or the, the great tribulation. Oh, what a mixed up mess. Do you know where they get the seven-year tribulation? You'd think it'd be just laced throughout the whole Bible. Seven years, seven years, seven years. Wow, look at all this seven-year stuff. Do you know where they get it from? They say that the prophecy given to Daniel in the last four verses of Daniel chapter 9 has a missing week. Paul's enjoying it especially right now because he's working on a document for our website to deal the death blow to anyone that wants to make Artaxerxes having any role in the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9 because we know that the king that got it started was Cyrus the Persian, not Artaxerxes, coming 80-some years later. That's where they get the seven years from. It was a 70-week prophecy, 70 weeks of years, 490 years from Cyrus the Persian to Jesus the Christ. But they lost the 70th week. And little Bo Peep can't find it because it's lost. And so they come up with a seven-year tribulation. Then they say there's going to be a special gospel preached during that seven-year tribulation, and they steal the New Testament from us. They teach that the church is an afterthought of God when he tried to offer the kingdom to the Jews and they wouldn't accept it. Do you know what we read in Acts chapter 15 earlier today? That the Gentiles coming in and making up the kingdom of David was from the prophecy of Amos the prophet right. and known unto God were all his works from the beginning of the world. Amen. 
Thank you. That's on behalf of the Lord, not me. I've never said anything worthy of it, but Acts 15 is worthy of it. Do you remember this morning when I said, this is James, this isn't Amos, this is James, telling by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that what he had just said was a plan that God had had from the very beginning. He did not come trying to give his kingdom to the Jews, got disappointed, and then gave it to the Gentiles. If the truth be told, John chapter 6 tells us that the Jews tried to make him a king and he wouldn't be their king. Brother, isn't it wonderful to know the truth? Remember sitting at the fortress of the faith? The citadel of orthodoxy. The world's most unusual university. And being fed swine food. Thank you, Lord. It's all by your grace. Because if we'd been left to ourselves, we'd still be there. Look at the priority that the Lord put upon it in those verses. Matthew chapter 13. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And what it means is, how important is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to you? How important is it to me? Now Matthew chapter 13 has a lot of parables in it. We want verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure, hid in a field, a buried treasure. Captain Hook put his treasure in this field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field, trying to act as innocent as possible as he goes into the real estate office, so eager to get his hands on that deed for that property, because he knows that there's buried treasure there. You say, what is the Lord telling us such a thing for? The kingdom of heaven is like unto. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man finding a treasure in a field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. He's a pearl trader who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These are two little comparisons that when we find the kingdom of heaven, when we find the gospel being preached, when we find where Christ is exalted, where Christ is being worshipped, nothing in our lives should pull us away. We should be willing to sell everything to buy the truth and sell it not. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This either, these are the kind of things that Jesus said over and over and over. These are the things that you've had read to you by eight young men in this assembly this morning. Lord, help us practice these things. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Listen to your king. I am just an ambassador. The worst of them. But listen to your king. You with red letter edition Bibles. Listen to your king. Matthew 19 and verse 12. For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs, which were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs, which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. What is this verse teaching? Marriage is the subject matter in the first 11 verses. But Jesus explains, there are some men that were born eunuchs from their mother's womb. They were physically handicapped by having their reproductive organs and their hormonal organs harmed in their formation in the womb. 
and they're born that way. There are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, like Daniel was made for the king of Babylon. There are other men who be eunuchs because there were some right then who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. They said, I know that it's not good for the man to be alone. I know that God made a woman for him. But I don't need a woman because she'll be a distraction and a weight that will slow me down from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus himself, and the Apostle Paul are three great examples of being eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. What I'm giving you right now is the gospel of the kingdom. You say, is it that important? It's more important. I want you to remember that whenever you think about how many children you should have or how many children your children should have. If the king of our kingdom tells us that the far greater blessing, and let me tell you something, marriage is greater of a blessing than having children. Don't, don't let me say any more beyond that. In arguing from the greater to the lesser, if there are men that value the kingdom of heaven more than marriage, then it should be obvious to you that you better measure the number of children you have because you are not enabling yourself to be a great kingdom servant by having a huge family. If you were to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, about verses 32 through 35, the Apostle Paul would say, I would have you to be without carefulness. What's the subject matter of 1 Corinthians 7 from first verse to last verse? Marriage. I would have you to be without carefulness. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord, but the married woman careth for the things of her husband, how she may please her husband. There's a warning there. Children add a great deal of burden to our lives. I'm not talking about the burden the way the world describes it. I'm talking about the burden keeping us from the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of work involved. And so you have to be very committed. Now, first of all, if you've chosen a wife, you've already settled for something less than the best. You say, I had a... I had to have a wife. You and me both. Did you notice the last sentence? He that is able to receive it. I wasn't able to receive it. I am not able to receive it. And I won't be able to deceive it next decade. I'm trying to comfort you that couldn't receive it either. The Lord covers himself. Very Is, is the king plain with us? There's only some men that can handle that. But I'm going to the next step. I want you to be careful when you think, how large should my family be? There should be no human pride in the matter. You do not have a 160-acre section from the government for your 13 boys to go out and farm. Okay? You don't have that. So just keep all those things in mind. I must move on. Matthew chapter 19. We're there. Verse 23. You had this read to you from another account. Matthew nineteen twenty three. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Riches, your financial pursuits, your education, your degree, your business is not the most important thing in your life. The Lord knows it's a horrible temptation. 
And he says, it's easier for me to get a camel or it's easier for a camel by its own will to go through the eye of a needle. Now, of course, those that want to be able to have their cake and eat it too, they're the ones that want to be a successful Christian businessman. Isn't that a noble thing to want to be? I want to be a successful Christian businessman. I've told you that that is a sinful ambition. Your ambition should be to be a successful Christian and let the Lord make you a successful businessman. Here's what they do, the successful businessman types. They tell us that the eye of a needle is a place where the wall was very narrow in Jerusalem and you could barely get a camel through. But it could get through. So they take away the impossibility of it which the king tried to give about his kingdom. That a man that's rich, there's as likely, it's as likely of him believing the gospel and serving the kingdom of Christ as that sowing instrument called a needle and the little tiny eye that it has through which you push a piece of thread could handle a camel. Because 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 uses the same language. He that will be rich falleth into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. What's the kind of ground, what's the thorny ground stand for in the parable of the sower when the word is being sown? It springs up with joy when it hears it, and as soon as it walks out of here, it's business. It's business. It's job. It's getting another degree. Takes it away. And it never brings fruit to perfection. Is that what the Word of God says? Through covetousness and minding the things of this life, they never amount to what they could have been. Do you want to find, you want to find a successful Christian businessman? They started off as a successful Christian. Let me give you a name. You're, you're asking me a name. Joseph. Joseph. I'll give you a name. What did he start off as? A successful businessman? Or was he the most obedient son at home to his father? Did he start off as a slave? Did he end up with a bank account? The bank. The nation. The revenue generating power of the nation. What about Daniel? What did he start off as? A eunuch. A captive eunuch, a teenage boy, neutered. Did he end up okay? I think so. How about David? Unknown to his family, or forgotten, for temporarily forgotten. He's out there keeping the sheep. Did he end up okay financially? Anybody else know this story? Anybody personally know it? Has anyone else ever known that you start off wanting to be a successful Christian, let the Lord add the business part? I know what you got to do Monday through Friday, and the Lord knows what you got to do Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday if you're a real businessman. But be careful. You can work too much. You work too much, and you never bring fruit to perfection. These are the warnings of the king of the, king of the kingdom to us. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We don't have farmers here. So we all can escape, Matthew 22, 5. But we've got a merchandiser or two. When a king made a marriage for his son, that's the gospel. It's Canaan. It's the better land that's flowing with better things than milk and honey. It's today. It's the day of salvation. Right. A king made a marriage for his son, and he sent it to servants and say, I've got my fatlings killed. The ox is slain. Come and celebrate with me. We had a young man read us the fifth verse, but they made light of it. They made light of it. 
You say, well, I never make light of the kingdom of heaven. I call you to reckon with Malachi chapter 1 that you don't have to make fun of it for God to consider you making fun of it or making light of it because if your actions are encroaching on it, you are making light of it. By Malachi chapter 1, remember? In that ye say, in the way that you're treating the kingdom, you're saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. Do you remember, do you remember that lesson from Malachi chapter 1? They, went, they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So in the city of Jerusalem, there were two responses to the gospel. One is, eh, yeah, good story. I got to go. I got to go work. The other response is, I hate him. I hate that message. No one's going to tell me what to do. And that man is not going to reign over me. Two kinds. They both got the same treatment. What was the treatment? It's in verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Who else got burned up along with the murderers? I need to go take care of my store. I need to go to my merchandise. This is the word of the Lord to us, trying to get our attention today about how important his kingdom is. You had Mark 12 read to you, where a man answered very discreetly. And it's, a, it's quite a... He had it read to you. It was quite precious where a man answered Jesus Christ very discreetly. And the Lord said to him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. Right. What did he say? He said that to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength is better than all whole sacrifices and burnt offerings. God doesn't care how many times you come to church or whether you're early or not or what you wear or any of that outward external stuff. What he wants to know is do you love him above anything else? And Jesus said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You know why he said that? Because that's the kind of attitude we all must have to be in the kingdom of God with God's approval upon us. Why didn't Ruth go with Orpah? Who is Orpah? A Moabitess, sister-in-law of Ruth, the two daughter-in-laws of Naomi. Naomi said, Listen, girls, I'm an old woman. Even if I could get a man tonight, you'd still have to wait 18 years before you could marry my boys. You know, that's pretty hopeless. I'm an old woman. I don't have a man. So why don't you go back to your families and back to your country, back to your gods, and have a nice life. i got to go back to Israel. The Lord's dealt with me bitterly. I've lost my husband. I've lost my two sons. I ain't got nothing. I'm going to go back and look for refuge in Israel. Orpah said bye-bye. What did Ruth say? Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. And Naomi didn't say any more because she saw that she had a daughter-in-law that was totally committed. What is my point? Where the kingdom of God is, that's where you should be. Right. Israel... The ten tribes turned to Baal worship. The two tribes were God's favorites. The line of Christ was going to come through the tribe of Judah. Their kings were better overall. They maintained the proper worship of God in Jerusalem, in Solomon's temple. 
much of the time. Do you know what happened when there were great kings like Jehoshaphat, Asa, and Josiah? You know what the Bible tells us? That when they brought about the revivals that you can read about in the chapters of the Bible that are pretty easy to read, when they brought about those revivals, people that were a part of the ten tribes would sell their inherited property for, that had been hundreds of years in their family and would move to be in Judah. The strangers that fell to them, and it would tell us the tribes that they came out of, the strangers that fell to them, meaning they sold and moved into Judah because they knew that God was with those in Jerusalem, that God was with a king who was bringing about a revival. Look at first, I want you to see, there's a number of places that I could turn you to, but look at First Chronicles chapter 11. First Chronicles chapter 11. I'm sorry I'm not very good at time management because I've got a whole lot of pages left, but somehow we'll deal with it some other time. But you're going to give me a few more minutes by God's mercy. First Chronicles chapter 11, all I want to do is give you the gospel of the kingdom, and that is always putting Jesus Christ, His kingship, His kingdom, His people, His righteousness first in your life above anything, everything else. You will win. It is a win-win proposition. If you put Jesus Christ first, He will take care of everything else. If you give Him something corrupt, which means giving Him 99%, He will curse you. And that curse can be upon you in your children. That curse can be upon you financially. That curse can be upon you in your health. That curse can come upon you. That curse will come upon you if you give Him less than your best. It's Malachi 1.14. It's not my idea. You're not serving me. I'm an ambassador for a king, and he deserves every bit of our honor and glory and for, that we can give him. And for that king to expect 100% of your love is entirely consistent with him being your creator and him being your savior. Right. It's entirely consistent with him giving you the first commandment and telling you this is the most important commandment. If you let everything else slide, like all your whole burnt offerings, you never bring me another sacrifice like that, but you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That pleases me, and thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 16. I don't. First Chronicles 11. I don't want that one. Second Chronicles 11:16. No wonder. You want to see mental consternation? It's looking at First Chronicles when you're thinking Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 11:16, and after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. Notice they're falling out of the ten tribes to come and worship with the two tribes in Jerusalem. Look at Second Chronicles 15. 15, this is Asa, verse 9. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin. Do you understand this history of Israel that I constantly refer to? Do you know that in the Bible? Since the days of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the nation had been split. Ten tribes called Israel, two tribes called Judah. Asa is a king of Judah, meaning he's a king of two tribes, not just Judah, but they basically ignored Benjamin because it wasn't worthy to be mentioned in the same sentence with Judah. And the ten tribes were called Ephraim or Israel. But notice this. Asa's having a revival in the ninth verse, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin. Those are the two tribes that he was king over. And the strangers with them 
out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, those are three other tribes, for they fell to him out of Israel, that's the ten tribes, in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Whenever we see a place where the Lord God is being worshipped, that's where we want to be. The Lord will take care of the rest. But now from that, you say, well, I'm already here. So you're preaching to the choir. No, I'm not. Find something else in your life that's keeping you from giving your best to the king and his kingdom. I want to show you a prophecy in Zechariah. Zechariah, a prophecy of the gospel dispensation. Do you know when Zechariah prophesied? He and Haggai were two contemporary prophets, and they had one ministry, one purpose. The Bible tells us about the purpose. He names them and tells us. When the Jews came back from Babylon, they were a little tardy and sluggish about building the temple of the Lord that he had sent them back to build. They built their own houses first and were quite comfortable, although the Lord was not blessing them financially. And so these two prophets were stirred up to get their attention and to build the house of the Lord. Haggai and Zechariah. I told you this morning that Malachi came later after the temple was built and they had laxed into carnal, lazy Christian living. Then Malachi came along. But we're in Zechariah. And it's got a prophecy for us and it's short and I can't preach to you Zechariah chapter 8, but I can read you these three verses. And I'm going to read four verses. Verse 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, It shall yet come to pass. He's got something a little farther out in the future than just some events he was going to bring about in Jerusalem. It shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another city, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Did this ever happen? The Apostle Paul preached the resurrection of the dead before the philosophers in Athens. And they mocked him and ridiculed him, and he turned and left. But Dionysius the Areopagite grabbed his skirt and said, I will go with thee. Damaris grabbed his skirt and said, I will go with thee. How many times can you read in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul, a Jew, was out of his country far across the Mediterranean Sea, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and they gathered the whole city together again the next Sabbath day to hear the gospel from the mouth of a Jew. Does this apply to you? Does this apply to you? Nothing is going to get in my way. You should be saying... To be wherever God is. To be where God is worshipped. In the New Testament, He is worshipped in local churches like this. If you need to remember what we have in a local church, it's a PowerPoint presentation from a Wednesday evening entitled, What is a Church? Far more than I can give you right now. Oh Lord, 
Help us appreciate these things. The most important geographical factor in your living choices should be a true church of Jesus Christ. Not a job, not family, not school. Can you believe somebody would go to some place for the schools? Anyway. Or any other such corrupt thing. That's what Lot did. See, Lot got his binoculars out and he looked in the 360-degree circle. He was being circumspect. He found that 270 of those degrees were barren land. And Abraham had said, Lot, we're too big to dwell together. You take your herds and go one direction, I'll go in the other direction. So Lot looked all around and he saw that the well-watered plains of the Jordan looked very good for raising some massive herds. So he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Was that seeking the kingdom of God? No. Where did he end up? In Sodom. How did he end up? In a cave with his two daughters pregnant by himself. Their children being the Ammonites and the Moabites. Ruined. Destroyed. His wife a pillar of salt. Three daughters married to boys of Sodom burned up in the destruction of Sodom. Abraham. See, Abraham cared more about being a successful Christian. Did he end up being a successful Christian businessman? Very rich. The most important geographical factor in your life should be a true church of Jesus Christ. You say, but I've got a great job. I know, but there's a greater one waiting for you. You say, I've got a family that likes their friends. They're going to have better friends if you'll be the kind of father that you should be. You say, well, we're going to have to leave good schools for less, lesser schools. The Lord's going to take care of your children better than you'll ever be able to take care of them through the NEA. Trust me. Right. If you can find what you call a good school that the NEA endorses, we need to talk outside of this pulpit because you are really messed up. The NEA is one of the most God-hating institutions on this planet. Oh, Lord, help us to put your kingdom first. Let me, leave with just, let me leave you with just a couple of examples. How do we serve the king and his kingdom? Well, it's not the post-millennial junk that some are spousing espousing out there. Do you know what post-millennialism is? Pre-millennialism is pre. Jesus comes pre. Jesus comes before the millennium. Jesus comes back. Then there's a millennium. A millennium is 1,000 years. Jesus will come back. He'll take a wooden throne in Jerusalem and institute animal sacrifices, and the place will be ridiculous for 1,000 years. That is pre-millennialism. It makes me sick. And I don't have time to show you all my sickness. I just want to mention it to you because I want to explain to you what does post-millennial mean. Post means Jesus comes post. He comes after the millennium. So there's a thousand-year period of time. Then Jesus comes back the second time. Pre-millennialists, Jesus comes back and there's a thousand years. Post-millennialists, there's a thousand years. Then Jesus comes back. Well, how do we get the thousand years started if it didn't get started with Jesus coming back? You need to walk out of here today and go get yourself a petition put together and run for public office. 
Because God wants every single one of you to run for public office, and we're going to take this world for God. And as soon as we've taken this world for God and the whole world is a godly place to live, then the millennium comes in, and we enjoy it for a thousand years, then Jesus comes. We don't need Him. All we need you is to get involved in politics. That is post-millennialism. That's not how we do it. Here's how we do it. I'm going to give you two passages. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. One brother was talking to me at break time and he said, what do I need to do? Go out on the highways or at the rest areas and preach to everybody that stops in their cars? Well, that's one thought. But that's not what the Lord calls us to do. Two things. I understand that. Yeah, you're the one I'm talking about. Ephesians 4.16. Remember this passage? The ministry is described in verses 8 through 11. God gave some, verse, I'm reading from 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And those gifts were given by Jesus Christ when he ascended up into heaven. That's verses 8 through 11. What the ministers do is in verses 12 through 15. And how they are to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then verses 13 through 15 describe the ministerial effect upon men's lives so that they're not led astray by false teachers and so forth, but they can speak the truth and grow up into him in verse 15. But this is what the church does. And this is what I'm telling you is a way that you serve the kingdom. Verse 16, from whom? That is from Jesus Christ, who is the last personal noun, the name from verse 15. From whom? From Jesus Christ, the whole body. That's this church. The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I know it's a long sentence, but that description of each part of us, like an entire human body, working together in a coordinated fashion, helping each other, the church can grow up. The church can be edified. It can edify itself in love. If we all love each other like we should, we can make increase of the body spiritually. To grow up, by every joint and every part compacting this body together until it is a powerful, spiritual, kingdom organization and organism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there in that verse. That is kingdom duty. That is kingdom service. And this church does it well. Can we do it better? Romans 16. Romans 16. There are things that happen beyond our church. Can we get involved? We are involved. Thank you, Webmaster. Are all of you excited about the announcement I told you of being able to pay for something that we're not doing? Did it excite you? Or did you say, there goes the pastor spending our money again? Oh, you poor soul. It doesn't excite you? David was so excited about gathering with all his might and contributing more than all the princes of Israel put together. Listen to these examples. I read a few verses from Romans 16. This is the Apostle Paul. When Paul commends somebody, it's worth listening to. I commend unto you, Phoebe, 
Oh, a woman. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. Oh, it's a woman, and he wants us to make sure we know that. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sencria. Now that is in modern Greece. That is near Corinth. That is quite a ways from Rome. This is the epistle to the Romans. You Roman saints, I commend unto you a woman that is going to be arriving named Phoebe. She's a servant of the church which is at Sencria. Most of her service in the kingdom is in her home church at Sencria. Here's my commendation for her, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. It's the right thing for you to do. And that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of. You know, this is a successful Christian businesswoman. But it ain't no business out there in the world. It's kingdom business. That ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. The word succorer, a helper. Is that exciting? Would we do that? Would we do that? If a very gifted, noble Christian woman was in need of help in Greenville, would we assist her in what sort of business she hath need of? Would we take an offering? Would we give liberally? Would we send her out of here with her job either completely paid for or well on its way to being paid for? Next, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Now we've got a husband and a wife, my helpers in Christ Jesus who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. No. Come on. That's an exaggeration. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. The Apostle Paul giving thanks to a husband and a wife team, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Are you willing to serve this church, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, by what your part and your joint can contribute? Are you willing to entertain strangers? Are you willing to show hospitality? Are you willing to write emails? Are you willing to contribute so that we can pay for things happening around the world, even though they're on a small scale? I want to remind you that as long as we can get enough out there that's about the size of a mustard seed, the Lord Jesus Christ can do the rest. There's things you can do. Do you pray? Are you a helper? Do you encourage? Do you exhort? We have witty inventions of communication that Priscilla and Aquila and Phoebe never heard of nor imagined in their wildest dreams. We have them. They're free. All it takes is a little bit of time from you who work less hours than the generations, all the generations that came before you. We can serve. So I leave you with that. What can you do to help the kingdom of God in other places? What can you do to help the kingdom of God that's right here? Let's build this thing up in love. It's the body. It's the fullness of him that filleth all in all. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen.